Welcome to episode 34 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Brian Foots. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast, everybody. For those of you who have been listening, you'll remember that about a month or so ago, almost two months ago now, I was in Austin at Onnit and I talked about some of the incredible people that I met and finally got to have one of them on the podcast today. So I'm here joined by Coach Brian from Onnit. Brian, what's up, man? Hello. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I know we've been talking for a little while. It's always awkward saying hello a second time, but, uh, you know, for the people listening. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always awkward, man. <laughs> Someone yeah, put on the, we send out these surveys at Onnit and uh, to the members, the small group members in the group classes. And one of my comments, they were all good, but one of my comments said, Brian, 10 out of 10. Weird. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, he's cool. He's, he's a good coach, but definitely strange. Um, and that's that's pretty true. So <laughs> and no and no further context. Yeah, but I, I'm sure you take that as a as a bit of a as a bit of a compliment. You're you're a big guy, you got big energy. So I'm sure that for some people, maybe it was a little bit of a newer person, or maybe it was someone who's been around for a long time and really likes you, but <laughs> just wanted to throw that little jab at you. Yeah, no, we're I, I hate to say like family because I feel like that has a connotation attached to it. And it's like a visit, like, oh, we're a family, but we really are, man. Like, uh, I don't know. It just we know each other's personalities and uh, we we keep it capped to 10 people so that we have a good client to coach ratio and we can serve people the best. Um, it's not necessarily about more money. So we cap it at 10. And so it's a it's a tight knit group and you see the same people three hours every week, you know, for months. So you do form those tight bonds. Yeah. You know, I, I will say it for you that it is very much a family feel at on it as someone coming from the outside and has nothing to, you know, quote unquote gain by saying that. Um, it it definitely, it definitely feels like that. You guys have, I said this before and I've said this on online and whatever, but on it does it right on the gym side of things and, you know, everything else in the company and sure I'm a little bit of a fan and, and whatnot, but you know, it's, it's done right there. And I think that that, very close relationship, even in the class setting is even more impressive. Like it's one thing to have a very close relationship with one-on-one training clients, because like you said, you're spending, you know, three, whatever, three, four hours a week with that person one-on-one, you know, you're going to, you're going to get to know that person really well. But in the class setting where it's not necessarily one-on-one, it's even more impressive that you still have those like super close relationships with all the members and, and everyone in there. Yeah. That's one of the big responsibilities of a coach, right? Is like, we act as a conscientious objector. So I'm not your dad. I'm not your boyfriend. I'm not your little brother. I'm not your, like you. I'm a coach, which is that very weird space. And, um, David Otoy said in, uh, we had the pain performance specialist cert come out to on it, got certified. And David said something during the cert, he was like, you know, how often do you see your primary care physician versus how often are you in front of them and you're coaching them on health holistically, yeah. right? So it's like, think about that cumulatively over the year of, you know, you're with the, we have hour and a half classes total. So man, you're thinking like, you know, anywhere from six to nine hours every week, you're with these people times 52 weeks. And so we can have a very big impact. Yeah. And it's not something that could, should be, you know, understated. Like it, it is a very important role. And, you know, as we were kind of talking about before this, like maybe 
it would be nice if the industry as a whole really took that to heart and really did take it more seriously than is taken on average, where you are very influential in that person's life. And, you know, that term influencer has a lot of connotations now. But, you know, if we talk about what the actual meaning of an influencer is, is to, you know, influence someone's thoughts and behaviors. That's not a small thing to that's not something to be to be taken for granted. No, it's um again, all these things that uh, have these connotations associated with them, but it is a very like attitude of gratitude type um, thought process. Like I, I'm not lost on, you know, being in the military and then working construction and pouring concrete in 110 degree weather uh, for 12 hours straight. Like I'm not lost on, I'm very grateful and appreciative of my job. So it's a, it's a great space to be in. Yeah, for sure. That that uh, brings up a good thing. Let's just give a pe- the people a little bit of a background. Where you're from? How did you kind of like get into all of this? And you know, the, the military and the pouring concrete, and so it's a long road. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd, I'll keep it short. It basically, from Pennsylvania originally, um, so in the Northeast, and then growing up, my dad had a construction business, grew up on a farm, um, and my dad did anything that made money insofar as like construction went. So we cut grass, um, shoveled snow, brick block, real stone, fake stone, poured foundations, heavy equipment, um, cutting trees, like mechanic stuff. I learned a lot, um, growing up through that. And I, I didn't always really like it, but looking back now, like if my dad gave me, if my dad gave me one great gift, it was like, I'm going to teach you how to work and this is going to be a normal thing. <laughs> right. So, and I, you know, I think we're missing that now um, in the later years, but it was a very like, yeah, uh, you're on summer vacation now. So we're going to go to work and you're going to learn how to lay stone. And it's like, okay. Um, and so never really, it was really cool because in that space, I was making a lot of money um, as it relates to my age, you know, in high school. So I'm like buying a truck and some of my friends are buying like airsoft guns and I'm buying real guns. <laughs> and <laughs> so I kind of got attached to that and was like, oh man, this is this whole construction thing is pretty cool. And so I didn't really try very hard in school because they just didn't see the value in it. I was like, well, I'm making more money than most of the kids that I'm with right now. And this is just something I have to get through. And my first girlfriend, that, that whole dynamic changed because, you know, I started getting in shape and I had a a coach that was my gym teacher and also my wrestling coach, uh, Mr. Kremenes. And he's responsible for all of this. (laughs) Um, just getting me into the fitness scene and stuff. He, you know, he was just such an influential, he really took the time and slowed down, was patient. And I just, I wanted to do better in gym class. Like, I don't know how it is in um, Canada, but gym class is kind of a thing that's like, you have to do. And so people are like, oh man, I got to, and I'm going to get all sweaty. But when I went to his class, I was like, I'm ready to freaking kill this man. Like I'm excited. I showed up and I was like, I want to impress. He's that, he's that archetypal coach that you, he doesn't say much, but you don't want to ever disappoint him. You know, um, is that kind of the same? Do they have that in Canada? Like 
What's uh, that look like in your school system? Yeah, so so in high school here, you have to take a gym class, I believe, in like in grade nine in freshman year, yeah. and then it's optional the rest of the years. Uh, so like most people, <laughs> most people don't take it. <laughs> uh, it's like one of the, it's like one of your electives that you can choose to take, or you can choose to take like accounting or, you know, whatever other, other like elective courses that, uh, the school offers. But yeah, it just becomes, um, yeah, a lot of people don't take it. There'll be like one class, you know, the, the school is like, you know, a thousand people and it's like one class of gym, of gym class. So, and then, you know, same, same, like you're saying, if, if the gym teacher is not, you know, that real hard or not hard, but like a real good coach and who really cares about it, then it's just becomes like a glorified recess where you just go and it's like, okay, what do you guys want to play today? You want to play basketball? Okay, let's play basketball. You want to play, you know, dodgeball today? Sure, whatever. And it's just kind of like, it's still fun. You get to mess around with your buddies and, and play sports in the middle of the day. I, like I definitely didn't hate it, uh, but it wasn't something that was, you know, life-changing or that I had some, and, and again, that's just, that's just a teacher, the coach. It's not, it's not the system. I don't think. Yeah. And growing up, man, like all my coaches, that was something else about Mr. Fremenes was he was in shape. Like this is a big dude that played, you know, I, I think he was in a D one school for football. Like, you know, he, Mr. Fremenes was an athlete. So this is a big dude looking like the rock who was doing cardio at 6am um, at Latrobe high school. I haven't said that in a long time. And uh, you know, you're like, damn dude, that guy's freaking jacked. And uh he was a good wrestler and stuff. So, you know, all my other gym teachers up until that point, no offense, they are kind of overweight. So it's like, Jesus, man. And then this was the first guy you go to gym class and he's like, Hey, grab your heart rate monitors. And it's like, what the hell is that? And then it's mm-hmm. like, it's a big guy in shape. He's over a deadlift of 400 pounds. You're like, Whoa, that's, that guy's cool. You know, but he's also nice. He was a big teddy bear. So yeah, I could go on and on about him, but, uh, real real influential guy to me growing up and i still talk to him to this day so um yeah did wrestling to get in shape p90x i remember the day like that was my spark or whatever i was eating uh frosted shredded mini wheats i was really fat and i was just tired of like not having a girlfriend and like being fat and being comfortable in sweatpants and stuff because I was in a two X shirt as like a 15 year old. So I was a pretty Husky dude. And, uh, yeah, I saw the infomercial for P 90 X press play every day, Tony Horton. And like I said, I didn't have a lot of money at the time. I think it was like 140 bucks or something. And I ordered it, uh, did it for 90 days and then did wrestling. Um, got a girlfriend, (laughs) started taking uh school more seriously and then i always wanted to join the army so um you know my parents were like well you should probably go the officer route and get a degree first and all this and i i don't like to i didn't and i don't like to disappoint people obviously so i was like okay and my girlfriend at the time was like if you join the marines um we're gonna break up this isn't gonna work and then my parents would have been disappointed blah 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 so I needed to get into college and to do that, I had to take the SATs and et cetera, et cetera. So I started trying hard and I, I think I graduated with like all A's my 11th and 12th grade year. But again, it's, it's because I had a what and a why linked. Um, right. So long story short, I go to Indiana University of Pennsylvania. They have an ROTC program. Um, I did not do well on my SATs. 
like I had took them three times. I barely made the minimum score and to even apply for a national base scholarship. Because when I got into college, my dad was like, that's great. How are you going to pay for that? And I was like, oh shit. So I didn't have a way to pay for school. Um, and so I just went up and was a stubborn jackass. And I drove up to IUP probably four or five times and I would just pester major block and they had on-campus based scholarships. And I pestered him enough that I got a three-year on-campus based, took out a loan for the first year with Sally May, paid her off. And then, uh, yeah, so graduate infantry officer, go to Fort Benning, Georgia, start training, stationed in Colorado, um, 141 infantry, and then did all that fun stuff, got out of the military. Uh, Ex-wife lived in Texas, standard infantry story, (laughs) and then got divorced. And honestly, man, I couldn't find a job, which I was pissed because I had like $59 million worth of equipment. I had like 120 people in uh, HHC and all this responsibility. I have an exercise science degree, blah, blah, blah. And I can't freaking find a job and I have bills. So I'm in Texas, just like watching the Sopranos, <laughs> just got out of the military, no job driving around, put a bunch of applications in for like plumbing jobs, construction stuff. And, uh, I was at gold's gym just training and I was doing back and I walked in out of kind of frustration. I'm soaking wet into the fitness manager's office. And I was like, Hey, can I get a job? Like kind of annoyed, like, what the, <laughs> you know, and he's like, Oh yeah, sure. And I was like, wow, really? He's like, yeah. And so the rest is history. <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I, I want to, I want, there's a lot to kind of go, go into there, but I think one thing to highlight there and, and you, and you pr- kind of briefly mentioned it is that the, the coach that you had, was the that spark as you mentioned of all yeah. this and, and and getting yourself in shape in physical shape and it wasn't for you know the the greater uh, benefits of it it was just like i want to lose a little bit of weight and i want to get a girlfriend which yep. you know may seem you know somewhat shallow at this point in life but at that point in life it was the it was the catalyst that started all of this and now at this point in your life you're not trying to stay in shape just to be jacked like you know that that's great that's cool but that's not the thing that matters, right? And and it, it was fitness that really kind of set you off on this huge path of all these things you've done in life and got you where you are now and is going to get you to wherever it is that you want to get to in life, right? Yeah, it um that relationship was definitely and I don't think it's shallow now because um there's a reason we have that thought now like I, now we understand as I got older and mature is like if you look at it from a biological standpoint like the idea as a 14, 15 year old to get a girlfriend is like, well, I want to be the apex predator. Like I don't, you know, you want to be a man and somebody that's going to attract a mate. And that's just like biology. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it really was, like you said, the catalyst and the derivative was me going and getting to experience all these things. But if you're not in shape, not just physically, but mentally, like you can't own a construction business in Colorado. Uh, which I did like at a small LLC because we had so many four day weeks. You can't, you don't feel good about yourself. You're not going to have a girlfriend. You're not going to be able to be an effective infantry officer. Like there's physical fitness standards rooted in everything that we do um, to some extent. So yeah, it really was like the spark. When did you, and when did you realize that that was the the thing that, that happened? 
that that was like the the changing point of, of your life? Hmm. Uh, I think. Well, like I said, I think the spark was just I was eating a bowl of cereal with like three pop tarts crushed in it. <laughs> I just ate whatever I wanted, dude. Like my grandma was the kind of lady that you just ate the first two spoonfuls of food and she's already like dumping more than you even originally had on the plate so i always ate a lot when i was a kid man um but yeah i was just i was just sick of feeling like shit you know i think that's so the then, most basic thing right so let me let me rephrase my question then when did you realize that it wasn't about uh looking good and that the fitness was actually helping contribute to like you know, your mental well-being and everything else in your life. When did that, like, when did you sort of come to realize that that was the, the main benefit or one of the major benefits of all of this stuff? Well, I think that in the background of my mind, um, I was always scratching at, I, I, I never thought that I, to this day, I have like little insecurity issues and stuff like, like we all do. And I try to tell that to people only because I think there's this idea that a coach is just like never in pain and we're doing intense metabolic conditioning workouts and like, Oh, well, he's a coach. And I'm like, I'm not in pain. I feel nothing. And yeah. uh, you know, that like we don't have insecurities and stuff, but um, yeah, I think it's a very low volume, right. The insecurity, but as a kid, man, like that was a big deal. Um, taking your shirt off and stuff. I was always self-conscious about that, but um so yeah, I think that in the background of my mind, I I always knew and just kind of accepted that there was a lot more to fitness. And for me, it was never just one thing. Like as soon as I started that first day of P90X, I knew like I immediately started to feel better mentally. I started to do different things at school. I started to take things more serious. And so I don't know if I answered your question correctly, but yeah, in summation, I think that I've always known um, I was scratching the surface of what is a huge spider web as to what fitness can offer, but I never really looked at it. Like there was that time, like I want to get a six pack and shit, but like, that was so, so long ago. I haven't thought about, um, that kind of stuff, like aesthetically pleasing things for a really long time. Um, even when I did my bodybuilding show, just to highlight your question and that example, I was doing that show because I was fucked up mentally. Like I needed something, an outlet. I needed that control and structure to eat seven times a day and train fasted cardio in the morning and then do a training session in the middle of the day and then train clients and goals. Like I needed that to process some of the stuff that I was um, dealing with at that time. So yeah, even on, on the surface, you know, people can say whatever, but I've always said that as a coach is that that's the hardest thing as a coach is to figure out what is the actual physical fitness goal of your client. I think that's the toughest thing. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, you kind of, you can fill it in and whatever, but I, I've always maintained like, that's the toughest thing to do is figure out what that actual goal is. Yeah. But once you can figure that out, in my experience, if you can sort, if you can fully figure it out, which you can never really get, you know, to the very, very root of it. But if you can sort of start digging that's when, you know, change starts to happen. Like a client will come in and say, okay, you know, you know, welcome to the gym, blah, blah. Like, what are your fitness goals? Uh, you know, I want to, I want to lose weight. Like, okay. Like, uh, yeah, I know that. Well, well why? Well, yeah, because, exactly. uh, you know, I want, I want, uh, you know, I want to look good on the beach. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But why, 
Why? Why? <laughs> why? And obviously, you know, that's not the language that you would use to, to have that conversation. Right. But really getting into that, you know, what is the real reason? Okay, well, it's because I want to, you know, uh, play with my children when I'm 90 years old. Okay. N- now we can, like, now that's something that we can work with, right? Like, we can sort of work towards that. Like, just losing weight for the sake of losing weight. You want to get a six-pack. You want bigger biceps. Like, that's that's all going to come. But it's almost like a... It's almost a side effect of what we're actually working towards here. Exactly. I think that I hope that answered your original question in that Mm -hmm. um, digging deeper and just having good conversation, right? Like that's the key to coaching is actually taking the time, showing the client that you do give a shit um, and sitting down with them and being like, what is your actual goal? How are you feeling today? And genuinely meaning it. And I don't think that that's something that can be taught. Like you either care or you don't. And that's what Mr. Kremenes, back to him, used to say all the time is that clients don't give a shit. They don't actually care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's what made me successful, whatever that means, as a trainer when I first started at Gold's because I really did just care. And I I fucked up so many things, dude. Like I go back to the old training programs and stuff I did. I was like, oh my God, you know, which I'm sure everybody goes through. But I think that... I got a lot of clients initially just because I busted my ass. I was there seven days a week, 14 hours a day, building up that book of business. But two, people could just see that I really did care and I wanted to help. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing because people are not, you know, they want to be cared for as much as people want to get in shape and stuff. They're all, there's also a very large, like social and just like human connection aspect to the whole personal training thing. As we, you know, kind of touched on at the beginning is this is going to be someone you're going to spend a significant amount of time with. Like the, the most direct sort of analogy that I give is people talk about how you gossip with your, your barber or your hairstylist and stuff. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, you see your hairstylist once every couple months like i don't know how often someone gets you know gets a haircut or you know whatever once a month maybe but like you see your trainer a couple hours a week like there's not that many people in your life who you spend even your significant other your siblings your your buddies like you don't really spend one-on-one time with that many with with many people every single week it's very rare and again being a conscientious objector in that way because all of my clients know and i make that very clear early on like if i say you did a good job i mean it um if I tell you like, Hey man, we, we didn't, we didn't hit it today. You know, like they always know that I'm going to be upfront and honest with them. So, um, and to your point, I was listening to, uh, Dr. John Russin on the pain performance specialist podcast with David Otoy and stuff. And he was talking about when he was in his residency, I believe it was, um, in DPT school, he, his thesis, what he wrote on was, basically how you know diabetics they'll have lacerations and you know they have to get their limbs you know chopped off unfortunately um in some cases and so what he wrote his thesis on was basically this oxygen chamber that was supposed to help you know the person go through that um or try to save their limbs etc and but the real premise that he was writing about was what was fascinating if the doctor spent an hour with them during that treatment right and they still got their limbs amputated like literally had their toes cut off versus the people that got that same treatment and they kept their limbs nothing ended up happening it was a successful treatment all good but the doctor left and they were there alone 
the people reported a higher quality of life and an overall better well sense of being that got their limbs cut off, right? Just accentuate that point. But the doctor stayed with them. Wow. And so like they felt better, even though they got their limbs amputated because of that human connection. And so that's a big part of coaching that um, I never take for granted is that sometimes it's not about fitness. It's almost never about fitness. It's really just figuring out um, how to help that human being. And fitness is a tool or modality that we use to do that. So exactly. That's very well said. Another, another study kind of along those lines, I'm the the person who I heard this from uh, is escaping me right now, but it was, they, they put people uh, in an fMRI machine and Mm -hmm. then they would give them like some sort of shock or some sort of, uh, some sort of pain, something to, you know, cause a little bit of pain. And so they had people just in there by themselves and then people in sitting in there or laying in the machine and holding the hand of their significant other. Yeah. And, but no talking or anything else. And there was a significantly like lower pain response just by holding the hand of your significant other. And it's like, well, yeah, this, this human connection thing is, is real. It's not, uh, do it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not just, you know, wishy-washy, you know, woo woo stuff like this stuff matters. And just because we don't necessarily fully understand it on a scientific level and we can't replicate it in a pill doesn't mean that it's something that should be, you know, thrown out, out the window. Anybody can, anybody can program an exercise. Like you want a big squat. Yeah. That's not the, you know, that's not the the hardest technical thing in the world to do. There was a, a Charles Poliquin once said, Oh, you want to, you want the secret to a, a big squat? Easy squat heavy once a week for 10 years in a row. You'll have a big squat. And yeah. you know, you know, he's, he's being crass, but he's not, he's not wrong about that. But you know, that's not what it's all about. How do you have a big squat and also like be a good person and be a, you know, be a good, be a good uh, employee or worker or husband or wife or whatever it is. Like that's what matters and have a big squat at the same time. Yeah. hundred percent. I think uh, back to what we were talking about before we started recording, like I talked about like how fitness hurts my heart and my brain. And sometimes like this job, like is literally going to kill me, but it's all good. Um, that's part of it that just at base layer, like we're so caught up in talking about macros and all this other shit. And it's like, are you eating with other human beings? Yeah. Like that's, that's a behavior modification that I might program for a client. Um, and they're like, well, no, why is that important? And I'm like, is it realistic to think based off of the study that you just said with the fMRI and what I was talking about, is it that big a deal that I eat with another human being? And it's like, yeah, because before we talk about all this other stuff and we can get into that, it's all good. The macros and all this, the BMR and, you know, thermic effective feeding and blah, 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 all this like advanced shit. But in reality, it's like, did the caveman eat alone? Probably not because when like in the military, like when you're eating, you need a perimeter because you're not safe. You need to, to, in order to properly digest food, like so that your gut can actually process that and get the most benefit out of it. It's not about just eating a certain amount of protein. It's like, what's the digestibility, like what's the bioavailability of that food that you're ingesting? Because what state did you eat it in? Were you stressed the fuck out and like rushed into the next thing? Or did you sit down and have a good conversation in the sun, chew your food, enjoy it? And it's like, those are the basic things that help people the most. So now I'm getting human connection. Now I'm getting some vitamin D from the sunlight. I'm chewing my food. I'm not in a stressful situation where I'm upregulated so I can digest this food better. If I digest the food better, 
I'm going to heal my body better. I'm going to have better mental acuity. Like it's just a snowball effect. And that's the, that's the tough part of it, dude, is I argue with people for a living. <laughs> I try to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but I want to know macros and I'm like, well, yeah, and we can get there, but let's, let's eat with other humans first. Yeah. And, and if anyone, I, I thought of a couple of examples while you're, while you're saying that, cause it's a really good point. If you have ever gone to any type of restaurant, like, you know, a takeout place, say like a, you know, a Chipotle or whatever, something like that, you go in there and you eat alone. Mm. What are you doing while you're eating alone? You're either one scrolling on your phone, which is just blasting you with probably a lot of negative shit on your social media, or you're sitting there eating and you're constantly, you know, looking around who walked in the door, who's behind me, what did the chef say over there? What did that guy say over there? And you're just like, you know, on edge kind of not really, but like kind of on edge versus you go in the same restaurant and you're sitting there with your buddy, just, you know, shooting the shit, having a good conversation, eating. You're so much more relaxed. You're going to enjoy that meal way more. And which one of those is going to be better for you? I mean, you know, put two and two together and you decide, but it's the same food. It's the same macros. It's the same thing, but it's not really the same environment that you're consuming it in. Yeah. Simple things. Yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of this stuff is like, it's way simpler, but much more difficult. It's because it's changing people's lifestyle. What if someone lives alone? How are they supposed to just, you know, eat with someone all the time? Well, that's something that we got to, we got to work on But yeah, being a coach is, being a coach is tough. It, it, but like you said, you know, it, it's going to find something you love and, and let it kill you. And, and we take it to heart so much because we love what we do. And, and I think that, again, like I said to you before, in my opinion, and from, you know, you're much more experienced than I am and well ahead of myself, but you know, this is the sign of someone who's good at what they do. If we didn't give a shit, that would be, that would be more concerning. Yeah. And that's one of my main missions is to elevate the coaching profession. And when people say I have a good buddy that I took a kettlebell cert with that I eat, um, really good sushi. The bill was like 250 bucks <laughs> <laughs> and he paid. So thank you, Sam. But, um, you know, we were talking about that and, you know, I loved how he said, I, he's like, I say I'm a personal trainer with pride and I'm 40 years old. I own a gym. I drive this car and people look at me kind of weird. Like, and, uh, he's like, I think that's important to not say because it's the common held belief. Like, well, there's a difference between a personal trainer and a coach. And to some extent I agree, but I think, um, it does a lot for our profession when you see a guy like Sam or somebody that's really successful, um, that is, you know, doing very well. And they're like, no, I'm a personal trainer, but, and moving away from that, I'm doing this for extra money. Um, it's so easy to make money doing online coaching, or I'm going to make money doing this. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a business. Of course you have to make money. That's a part of the conversation, but, um, elevate the coaching profession back to the simplicity of things is that I think a lot of coaches don't have the confidence because they haven't set up, they haven't been set up in an educational perspective or they don't have enough hours grinding away at gold's gym where they had that experience to where at some point you have to like, you know, grab your nuts and be like, I know what I'm talking about because I, I do this shit. And so I have the confidence to stand here in front of you and say, we're not talking about macros until you can fill up a water receptacle as an adult and drink half your body weight in ounces of water. And if you argue with me and say that, how, yeah, but what else? And like, that's not that important. I will hit you with the science, bro. <laughs> but um, that's a big issue, I think, is just having the confidence as a coach to stand there in front of your your people and, and really guide them in the right way. I think yeah. 
think that's a big issue. So yeah, the, anyway. the name or the, the title of personal trainer comes with a lot of, again, negativity from people who don't, <laughs> from, from people who don't know and stuff just because, and, and, and part of it is good because, you know, anyone can become a personal trainer, but that's also the downside of it is that you can just take some, you know, weekend or online course and then be certified. And, and that has, you know, big downsides or you just, you know, you go into a gym and, and, you know, you look a little bit, you know, you look, you look good and the train and the gym owner's like, Hey, you want to be a personal trainer? I'm like, yeah, sure. I've worked out before I can do this. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, so that, so that's one problem with it. But, but, you know, I don't think that those people will last and they will be, you know, their clients will, they'll figure it out. People are not, you know, they're not going to get better. They're not going to get the results that they're looking for, you know, physically or otherwise. And it's going to, it's going to fade out. So I think, you know, having the confidence to say, Hey, yep, I am a personal trainer. That's the title that I have. You can think whatever you want of it, but I'm damn good at what I do. And you're going to get better working with me like yeah. that, you know, not in a cocky way, but in a confident way to be, to, to just know that you're good at what you do, but it's then you got to put in the work to support that. Exactly. It's just authentic. It's not confident or cocky or the other. It's, it's somewhere in the middle of authenticity. And that's what I try to lead with. Um, even when it's uncomfortable, cause that sounds really cool. And like, Oh, I'm authentic on paper and shit. But like, if you're really authentic, it is hard. It's like yeah. hard on you as a human being because, uh, yeah, but back, that's why I appreciate this conversation a lot because I hope that back to just having good conversation. Um, the reason that I was like all on board was like, hell yeah, it's not necessarily to promote myself. I'm sure, you know, obviously there's a piece to that, but I think just having good conversation around not necessarily, you know, undulating models of periodization and like what's our sets, reps and tempo rest period on this, but more so like good conversation around um, changing the dynamic and the thought process as to what fitness is and at least have a good base of support there to create more good conversations. So I hope anybody listening, that's what they get out of it is like, huh, I didn't think about that or I didn't know that about fitness or that's interesting as opposed to, you know, like we talked about just individual exercises and stuff. So, yeah. And, and, you know, you, we can go on and on forever about the, the nitty gritty of exercise programming and stuff. And there's tons of resources out there. And that's why I'm like, you know what? I just, I don't want to keep adding to that. There are much people, there are people that are way smarter than me doing that stuff. And I will point you in the direction to that. And, you know, if, if a client or whatever, yeah, we can work on that stuff, but just to hear me talk about it, that's not helping you. And I think a good example of that is, and I'm sure you've got this too, you know, buddies or people from your past or just people you run to like, oh, can you make me a workout program? Sure. You, you make them a workout program and then, you know, they don't do it or, or don't get better from it. It's like, well, yeah, because that wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't it. That yeah. wasn't, that wasn't, that wasn't all there is to it. There's a whole list of other things that are way more important than that list of exercises and sets and reps that I gave you. Right. Yeah. And that's why I've never been worried about job security because um, I think it's 48 or 50% NSCA journal, just like half of America's obese, um, mm -hmm. exponentially more female soccer players are blowing out their ACL, even though we're getting smarter. Um, people don't understand how to move anymore um, or where they're at proprioception wise in space. And so all that to say, it's um, I've never been really worried about that job security piece. Um, because you're never going to replace a human connection to what yeah. we were speaking about earlier. And more so, I, I think a good workout program is like a gun, right? Like a gun's just a tool. So 
you can use a gun to protect your family or like shoot up a building, but it's a tool. So you can have the best freaking program that's ever been created. Like people look at it and they're like, whoa, like they start there. That's the best program I've ever seen in my whole life. But how you implement that tool, that's really the coaching aspect to it and how you get that person from here to here with said tool. But, and you have to know that for sure, right? That's something that I, I learned, like, especially working it on it that, or a skill that I picked up here was, I was always in search of the right answer. I was like, okay, there has to be, there's very few, but there has to be universal truths that we can hang our hat on and go, okay, this is good. And so it's funny, the more certifications that I do, the more knowledge that I experience, et cetera, et cetera. I go back to drink half your body weight and ounces of water, like do the basic shit really well, do what human beings are supposed to do. And honestly, if your clients trust you, that elicits the biggest response. Um, but anybody can come up with a good program. It's how you implement it. Yeah. Yeah. And the, those big, those big changes, while they're not very, they're not very sexy, they don't sound cool to talk about. They are the thing that makes the most impact because they're the big piece of the puzzle that people are just not doing. You put that in there and all you got to do is just connect the little, the little dots afterwards. You can refine your, your, your workout program and, you know, you eat a little bit more of this macro, a little bit less of that, you know, whatever, whatever stuff it is. And then, you know, it's all going to come together. But if you're not, if you're not just drinking enough water, you're not sleeping at night, you don't, you know, you sit on your ass for 15 hours a day. Yeah. Not, not a lot's going to change. Yeah. And uh, you know, back to communication, like that's the, as you say, you could make it sound really fancy and stuff. And that's one of the things I think if you, if you lack that confidence that we talked about, um, one of my mentors and like really close personal friends that I actually moved in with for a little bit, like I met him at Gold's gym. Um, I haven't been home in a long time. So I always like, I always call my surrogate dad, you know, he got an MRI <clears throat> And I said, as an exercise, I was like, and how important communication is for coaching. I was like, he's telling me the results of the MRI and, you know, the physio that took care of him, air quotes, um, wasn't a great example. It was like a, a printout of go to Gill or Crossball at Walmart and rub it on your neck. Yeah. That was his treatment protocol, the physio. Anyway, the point is that I said, okay, Steve, I said, let me let me give you two examples of what you just said as far as communication goes. Client has spondylosis of the spine um, noted in MRI by a translation forward of the neck at C4, C5, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, okay, now let's, 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 let's bring it here. Your neck is kind of jacked up. Your body will fix itself. We have to investigate why did it get jacked up? It's probably a tight T-spine and you jumped horses for a long time and were an athlete. So your neck was always in a forward position. You do a lot of computer work because you're a com commercial real estate broker. And so let's mobilize your T-spine, look at your core and breathing and go from there. You know, like those two, imagine that, you know, how scary that, that sounds like all those like really technical terms and shit. And, but as a coach, you have to be able to bend and flex and still go, well, yes, this is horizontal abduction. 
It's like, it's a bench press. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> but clients don't necessarily need to know that. So it's a weird thing because you, you have this big base of knowledge and you have to know the verbiage, obviously, to be a fitness professional, but then you almost have to distill it and learn a totally different language on how to present that to the client. Um, but yeah, communication is something that, um, it's the tattoo on my chest. My favorite philosopher, uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, like his premise in his book was that all issues stem from a communication problem. And it really is. That's why I went to the art of coaching cert this past weekend in Seattle, Washington, uh, with Brett Bartholomew, because I'm on a constant hunt, uh, and search to make my communication better. Because if you can't communicate to people, it, again, it really doesn't matter what you know. Yeah. So yeah, communication is key, man. Yeah. And you do, you specifically and everyone else that I, you know, spoke with it on it, you guys do a very good job of it. And it was the thing that among many things I was very impressed with there is that yes, it's a class based setting and a lot of the, you know, workout classes, they're not coaches or trainers. It's mostly they're cheerleaders, you know, running the, <laughs> running the class. Like, okay, we're doing burpees and then we're doing this and then we're doing that. And like, you know, let's go team. Like, all right, cool. But you know, with the workouts that we did on it, like, you know, first of all, they were like legit workouts. It wasn't just like, let's just do a bunch of like, you know, nonsense jumping jacks and shit to get sweaty. Let's do some real work. That's like a real program. But it was also coached very well to 10 people at a time, not, not one-on-one. And that's way harder to coach, you know, an intricate movement or a workout system or something to Ooh. multiple people at a time that requires so much better communication. All of that on top of like, being cool and having fun all at the same time. It wasn't like, you know, drill sergeant. Okay. This is what we're doing. Everybody shut up. Listen to me. Like, no, that wasn't what it was. We were having a great time and getting coached very well all at the same time. And that was just something that was very impressive and something that I've, I've honestly not seen anywhere else. Yeah. Um, luckily I am somewhat of a, a decent order, um, just naturally. And then I've really tried to improve that skill over time because the idea of assimilating, a movement pattern in that client's head, right? So assimilation, like I say dog, I think German shepherd, you think greyhound, whatever. I need to assimilate via my language and my movement and correlate those both together because we process things visually, I think 40,000 times faster than we do from an auditory perspective. However, in that group setting, if you have 10 people, sometimes your only tool is your voice. And so the tonality of your voice how you're directing your speech. Is it active? Is it passive? Um, are you focused on one person that you know is really good at a movement? And so you have him demonstrate while you speak so they can see it, but you can really focus on your speech patterns. Like communication is so important, man. Um, the ability to actively listen, um, not, and again, this is why fitness really doesn't matter. It's you know, what do you learn within those gym walls in our training facility in that lab? And then how can you work on that in an isolated, safe environment to then take those skills as a human being and implement them into whatever your life's purpose or mission is outside the gym? So if you learn to become a better communicator and speaker at the gym, whatever way, X, Y, Z, it's going to improve your relationships. Um, and that's, man, something that we need I know I'm a millennial, but I'm a little different, right? Than most, um, I, I refuse to talk to people if they're typing on their phone at the same time. I have very few pet peeves, but 
oh, it's like we don't have communications hard enough. If you're looking at your phone while I'm talking to you, it's like, oh my God, dude, come on. So yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and and it just goes back to being to being a great coach. <clears throat> a lot of people are coming into the gym. They're uncomfortable, especially new people. You know, they're they're uncomfortable in, in their body. They're uncomfortable because it's a new environment, because you're a stranger, because everyone else maybe feels super comfortable because they're all familiar with each other. You know, you're you're a big guy, you're loud, you're you're big energy, and someone's coming in, you know, they're super quiet. They just have no idea what's going on. But they're not gonna going back to what you've said previously, is like they're not gonna listen to anything you say until they feel comfortable, until they know that you care. So yep. you're doing your thing being being who you are, which is amazing, but until that they can feel comfortable, nothing else is going to is going to matter and 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 that's going to help them be a better communicator and be a better like, you know, have better relationships outside and whatever that is because they know that they can relate to other people and that people, you know, they can trust other people because maybe that's something that they can't do at whatever point in their life. Yeah, I was just having a really good conversation with a trainer that had recently been certified and I was kind of at a loss of words because it's such a big topic, man. And it, I, I, at this point in my coaching profession, um, I think I've passed an OPEX's model. Like um, James Fitzgerald describes it as, okay, you're either a technician, a craftsperson, or a master or in the pursuit of mastery as a coach or as three levels or archetypes. And I think I'm definitely in that craftsperson See, like what I just did there. I think I am in, it's like, no, you either are or you're not. I am in the craftsperson stage of that continuum in that finding the commonality of all of these different disciplines and how they relate and looking at a human being from a holistic perspective, not you're going to do four sets of 12 and then this will happen. Um, it was really hard to communicate for me and properly answer her question because she asked like, okay, I just got certified through, you know, NSCF, NASM, ACE, what, you know, whatever, three, four letter. And I didn't know how to properly answer her question because she was like, what do you think I should work on next? <laughs> and I was like, damn dude, uh, whew, I, I'm looking more so right now at, internal family systems, Carl Jung, um, childhood related trauma, how that relates to what we do in daily movement patterns and behavioral patterns in life. And um, not that I'm, I, hey, I'm not a freaking psychologist. I'm not an armchair, like, you know what I mean? But um, to ignore those aspects of human behavior and communication is like, uh, I don't know, be, having the awareness around to your point, making a client comfortable where they can actually receive your information. I'm 6'3", 250 pounds, and I have a deep voice. So if I see someone that's very uncomfortable, I'm going to lower myself to the floor and make sure that I don't seem threatening. I'm gonna lower my tonality of my voice. I might break that touch barrier if that helps that person. Like how do you communicate to a new coach or trainer like um you know those skills there there is no direct path um on success as to what you should study um so that it's a hard question to answer i think there's obviously great certifications and there's great people to listen to to start that journey but that's why this job hurts my heart sometimes yeah. like i said because it's a uh, there's so much there's so much 
to. So how, how did you answer that question? <sighs> I said, um, I think any new trainer that really the first and foremost, this is what I was kind of stammering on. I almost wanted to say, if you're not ready to make this your life's pursuit, but, I, but I, again, I, I reserve the right to, I, I don't know that this is the right message. And that's why I was kind of fumbling it over in my head was like, I don't know that this is the right message, but I wanted to say initially, like, if you're not ready to make it a profession um, and really put the energy into it, I wouldn't even try. But I know how that sounds. And I, I again, I just want to make sure, like, I, I'm very clear in my in my thought that it's it's not that I'm saying you shouldn't even try to be a coach, but that just kind of represents the the task at hand, if you will, yeah. to make and it's going to become more and more important, man, like it, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I think we're making great strides in the fitness industry. But if if it's the idea that you're going to make easy money doing this you're lost you're truly <laughs> lost <laughs> you can make a lot of money but oh man it's it's a hell of a it's a hell of a thing at least but or maybe my brain's jacked up you know <laughs> no i think i think you're right and i think that that's a really good answer and i've and people who have asked me i've said something similar where it's like this is not a half ass kind of job you can just you know go to your community gym and and be a trainer part-time while you're in school and make a little bit of money on the side and, and okay. You know, if that's your, your entire goal, you know, fine. If you want this to be your career and like you want to get into this and this to be your job, then you're not going to work from nine to five and then just turn off your phone when you go home and not answer messages and not think about stuff and not research stuff and forget about your continuing education credits. Like forget about what's you know, quote unquote, required of you. It doesn't matter what some governing body requires of you. It's about what you require of you. Like you need to want to do this with, with everything that you have. Otherwise you're not, you're, you're like surface level. You're just not going to make very much money and, and you're not going to be very good at what you do. And people are going to see through that very quickly. And then the whole thing is going to break down. And then you're going to be, you know, five, six years in and be like, Oh my God, I I can't do this anymore. I got to quit and do something else. And then you've just, you know, I don't want to say wasted that time, but you know, you didn't get very far ahead and you didn't accomplish what you wanted to do. So unless it's something that you're willing to like, you know, put everything you got into it, then that's, then that's step one. And then on top of the, and then the tangible skills, it's like, you got to learn how to communicate with people and be a human first, meet people at a, at a people level first, the, the sets right. and reps and all that stuff, the technical knowledge, like, you know, you can go on for forever with that, but to, affect the the people that you're going to be working with out of the gate that technical knowledge is relatively easy to come by and you probably if you've even been certified by anything you probably know at least a good chunk of it and you can continue to improve that but it's the soft skills that are much much more difficult to acquire and much more impactful i think to to one's career as a personal trainer or coach or whatever title you want to give yourself yeah 100 percent um and that, that's what, uh, you know, I talked about that, that cert I went to, and you said not to like, I'm not arguing with you or refuting your point, but it's, it is easy to come by, right? Like the information's there, but sifting through the bullshit is yeah. hard. It's tough. 
And to further like argue with myself, which is probably why I don't have a lot of friends. Um, <laughs> I play all these out, man, in my head, like, cause I, I'm very worried about saying that because it's like, I don't want it to be taken as you just shouldn't get into the coaching profession because to bring some levity to this like topic, coaching's not that hard. Like on the opposite end of the spectrum, I'm not pouring concrete in hundred degree <laughs> yeah. weather. I'm not carrying an 80 pound rucksack. So it's like, there's another side of that where it's like, Hey man, your job in reality is not that tough, Yeah, but at, at a different level, um, I think you can help people and make change and you can make side money while you're going to college and you can be a great coach. And I think that's awesome. But I think also if we want to actually elevate the profession, it's going to take some, you know, some intensity where it's like, Hey man, you know, we, we need a, we need a, there's a low barrier to entry into this field. And when you say that's just the reality of it, all emotion taken aside, it's like, if you say you're a personal trainer, I used to joke with uh, one of the trainers at Gold's because he was dating uh, a doctor and she had a bunch of doctor friends. And so he goes to these doctor parties and they're going around the circle and he's like, I'm a, I'm a trainer, you know, <laughs> he's like, I am a doctor of blah, blah, blah. And I'm an orthopedic surgeon. And Coben was just like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a trainer at Gold's Gym. So, uh, yeah. So that's just the reality of like the situation that we're in. Um, but I fought with myself on the other side of things to say that different coaches fill different holes for people. Like I can't be, my style of coaching is very different than somebody else. And that doesn't mean that theirs is not more or less effective or whatever. Like it takes all kinds for sure. But I think just having, again, good conversation around what, what specifics um, should we give coaching professionals targets to try to hit? Um, what education should they? And again, it's so tough, man, because the coach has to take into account their weaknesses. So I've all, you know, my clients teach me way more than I teach them. And, you know, as I go through and train more and more people, like hundreds and hundreds and probably thousands at this point of people, um, I just learned that that if I really want to elevate my coaching profession, it's not so much a certification. It's what do I have to do in my day-to-day -day life that is going to improve myself so I can be an example and I can speak to these things. And um, how do you communicate that to someone? Like, well, the best certification for you to get is for you to sleep eight hours and <laughs> probably not eat like an asshole, you know, like, is that's really the key if you really want to take it further um there's a lot of good certs there's a lot of good information there's a lot of bad information there's a lot of bad certs and sifting through that is very challenging so yeah it was a tough question to to answer for her yeah i think another piece just on the authenticity side of things and that some of us as coaches and, and i've certainly been been you know fall into this trap a little bit in in the past is like we try to sometimes be everything to everyone and understanding our own limitations is is a big skill and something that is very important where a client comes to you and they have some, you know, whatever issue and, and it's like, well, I'm just not, I just don't know enough about this thing to help you the best, but I will find the person who can help you. 
And that is, but again, that's also part of being a good coach is like, I I don't know the information to tell you, but I will help you find that information instead of pretending to, to help this person with, with, you know, the very limited or or very limited information that you have on whatever issue it is that they're, they're having. Yeah, that's, it's a solid point, man, because again, that's what hurts my brain is that yes, it's simple, but it's not easy because and people can fall into, and I'm sure I've been there more so at Gold's Gym when I first started, but the God complex of like, Brian is fitness. Yeah. He knows all things fitness. And it's like, man, I try to tell my clients all the time, like diet, I don't, I, I would never want to be a registered dietitian yeah. because whew, like how food affects people is so different. Um, your nationality you know, rebuilding Milo's uh, book that uh, Dr. Aaron just put out, like he was talking about the the delineation between how their how people's hips um, are actually oriented based off of so Polish people and German people, my dudes, right, German block um, or that Eastern block, we have a hip anatomy that genetically such that makes us very successful at Olympic lifts. But if you are from an Irish background, maybe you might be more internally rotated just based on the anatomy of your hips. So that's going to affect your squat stance, et cetera. And so that kind of highlights like when a client comes to you, it's tough to fight it, but you have to be truthful always. And I'll say like, I don't, I know almost nothing about diet specifics, like how the specificity of how your gut digests this versus that and what you should be eating on a daily basis. But, and then you get into liability and it's like, what are you actually allowed to coach people through with diet, but then to ignore it and say, you know, is that a business perspective thing where it's like, well, we have to protect our, um, our clients and our gym as a whole, because we're not registered dietitians. So you can't step out of scope, right? That's very important. However, you need a base layer of psychology, communication skills. You have to look at yourself on a personal, real level. Like look at yourself in the mirror and be like, what unbelievably stupid things am I doing that are blocking my ability to take my coaching to the next level? Strength and conditioning, form on all exercises, know about human movement patterns, myofascial release, fucking diet, nutrition, supplementation, motivation, the psychology piece of that, like what motivates, what kind of archetypal personality pattern are you? That's the create, like some of the workout programs that I make now are entirely personality based. They don't have shit to do with, we're going to do a rear foot elevated split squat because this human is X, Y, Z. It's like, well, this is the best way that they learn. This person might even be on the autism spectrum. So how do you train that person? You have to be kind of gruff and very direct with them and changing and being able to chameleon in and out of those positions and then take that from a one-on-one setting to a group setting. No advanced level plyometrics and like depth jumps and eccentrically pulling yourself into a box squat, like speed, not just concentrically on the way up, but also on the way down. Like there is a lot of shit to know as a coach. So, uh, um, yeah, just and plucking those out and not getting lost in those things because that yeah. can destroy a coach's confidence. Like I'm supposed to know everything and it couldn't be further from the truth. 
Yeah, I think I think coming to terms with the fact that we don't know everything about everything and we will never as an individual know everything about everything is right. probably a good skill, but if you get really good at one thing and you get sort of good at the rest of them, you can at least the, the way that I see it is like I might not be the expert in all these fields, but I know enough to sift through the nonsense, give you the base layer of like information that's like applicable and not harmful, but then point you in the right direction if you need more. Right. If someone comes to me with some, you know, they only want nutrition coaching or something like that. You know, I probably not want to work with that person because that's not what I do. But, but you need money. But you need well, money. <laughs> oh right. yeah. If so. I need money, then I'm going to give them the diet plan. No, I'm not going to do that. But, <laughs> but it's like, okay, so they want nutrition coaching because they've got some like digestive issue, something like that. Mm. You know, and they're coming to me because they really trust me. They really want my advice. You know, I might look at what they're doing and see that this person, you know, drinks 10 Coca-Colas a week. Okay. I think it's pretty safe to say that we can work on, first of all, why are you doing that? And what are the, what's the environment that's created that is doing that? And let's work on cutting that down. I don't know that that's necessarily going to save their digestive issues, but like, let's do all of the simple things. Well, drink enough water, not eat like an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, if the, the issues are still there and still present, then yeah, I can't do anything more because I'm not a dietitian. I'm not a, a gastroenterologist. Like I can't do those things. I just don't have the expert knowledge, but we've got the basics down and now I can point you in the right direction. Like, okay, we've got all the crap stuff done. Now you can go to the actual expert. And then they can do their work because, you know, just giving credit to that person, some gastroenterologist, some, you know, high level doctor that studied this, you know, the stomach for 15 years of their life. It's kind of like, you know, it's almost a slap in the face to them. They're dealing with patients who are just, you know, eating McDonald's 15 times a week. Like, well, okay. If that, (laughs) like their knowledge level is a lot higher than that. And so if people can go, you know, see those people at the time when they're ready to see those people and make whatever changes they have to make, then I think that that is, is almost helping them better. But it's up to me to not pretend that I'm that person and, you know, do what I can within my scope and within my scope of knowledge as well. And then, you know, point them in the right direction when it's time. Yeah. The, man, a bunch of thoughts just sparked off of that. But I think one, that's how I could have best answered um, that, that person's question when they said, what can I study is like philosophy, critical mm-hmm. reasoning skills, understanding philosophical fallacies, like, well, yeah, your doctor said that, but that doesn't make it true. And just because I said it, it doesn't make it true. I have to play both sides of the fence and say, that's the authoritarian fallacy. Like it's almost um, it's like a lawyer, you know, you're a conscientious objector. You don't actually care or you have to be non-biased towards your client being guilty or not. You're there to present their case. Um, one of my best friends, Taryn said something, a, a preconceived notion I had about lawyers. And he told me like, no, you, you go to court and you present the evidence and then you let the jury decide. And that's kind of like coaching, right? So we have to be very articulate and be able to not know everything and be comfortable with that and be honest about it. However, you do need to have basic fundamental critical reasoning skills, philosophy 101, and just know, well, I may not know what's causing your gut issue. However, the 10 Cokes that you're drinking, probably not good. Um, You sleep three hours a night, Hmm, probably not good, you know, and you can argue that point in a non-dickish way and also empathetically 
meet that client where they're at because it's not enough to just have the right answer. I was definitely stuck in that because I love to argue. <laughs> and but only for the only for the reasoning of trying to find I hunt simple truths. Okay. That's why I like to argue, not to argue with people because there's no short of that. Like you can find an argument anywhere. Um, but it's it all and has more to do with I want to know what's the thing that's going to help them get from here to here. What's my base of support that I'm operating from here? What are my truths that I believe in? And I have seen progress people and whatnot. So I think that's probably the best thing that you could do as a coach is work on yourself and understand the mind, actively communicate and have those critical reasoning skills of deduction. Um, and that was the second point that really sparked my head in that coaching certification, um, the art of coaching this past weekend we drew out psychologically there's four panes of a window i don't remember the psychologist that came up with this concept but basically there's four panes it's the seen and unseen or the unknown the unknown these four different quadrants and the biggest block that i drew out was the unknown unknown um and the other three panes of the window i made perfectly equal because i feel at this point i can bend shift and flex out wherever that client needs me to but the more that i learn the less I know. And of course, that's a Socrates quote, but I love uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. That's one of my favorite quotes. He said, "With as the area of our knowledge increases, so too with the perimeter of our ignorance. Hmm. And that really highlights the coaching realm as we move forward, hopefully, and uplift that coaching profession because our industry is relatively new, like baby boomers statistically are the first people to actually get a coach. Right. Um, but now, you know, I come from a farm, right? Only 3% of the world's population, I believe, is on a farm anymore. And so the further we move away from movement, the more we have to circle back around and look at, man, what are the basics that we really need to target? And how can I communicate that to this person where they're at at this time in their fitness journey? And lastly, disassociate your personal feelings. I think that's something that people don't talk about enough is um, it doesn't actually matter how I feel about your progress as a coach. And, and what I mean by that is it was one of the hardest things that I had to swallow was that person might be in that pre-contemplation phase uh, psychologically where they want a coach, they've made steps to go out and actually hire a coach and you're working with them and you're spending money and you're doing your damnedest, but ultimately you can't make a human being do shit. We are Dumbledore to Harry Potter. Like we're, we're not the heroes necessarily. We're like Robin in the background, like throwing from the utility belt, like yo, Batman, what you need, bro. Like, Oh, you need to figure out how to do a lunge. I got you. And, uh, Man, when those two things don't coincide and a client doesn't want their goal as much as you want them to have their goal, it's rough, dude. On it's it's hard to disassociate. Um, yeah. So, I think that that leads down a slippery a slippery path as well, and for for two reasons. One, the client, to some extent, if it's something that's very obvious, going back to that, like drinking ten cans of Coke a week, they probably know that that's not a good thing. They right. probably know that they should sleep more than three hours a, a night. 
So sitting there and, you know, yelling at them to stop drinking 10 cans of Coke a week, it's not really helpful. There, there's a reason why that they're doing that. And your job as the coach is to figure out why they're doing that and help them build some strategies to stop doing that, not tell them not to do it. They already know that they shouldn't be doing that. The second yeah. thing is that you you project stuff that people don't like, and then people maybe want to please you. And I, and I spoke with this in the last podcast, and, and I'll tell you the little story just very quickly, is I had a client... Um, Whatever I moved away, she moved away, whatever, working with a new coach. And this coach is super into bodybuilding and like getting her hardcore into like bodybuilding stuff and doing this like super aggressive cut. She's eating a thousand calories a day and, you know, but not enjoying any of it and hating it. And, but this is, this coach is what he wants for her. And I'm like, that, that's not okay. Like you're, you're miserable doing this. Like you're, you're not sleeping, your energy shit, like nothing is good and you don't even want to do this. And so, you know, that's just, that's also just not okay is projecting what you want and like living through your clients. Like that's not, it's not okay either. It's a disservice and, and probably doing more harm than good in that scenario. Yeah. And a personal story of my, and this isn't to say like how great Brian is, but it's, it really was interesting and shocking. Um, I send out 30 day, like, you know, how's training going, you know, I follow up or I, I try my best to make sure that when I'm done training a client, um, that I follow up with them and see like, okay, how did, what was the adherence level? Right. Because we're so quick to, we're very outcome based, um, not just in coaching, but in America and, and like, what am I getting out of this? X equals Y, what's this going to give me? And we need to become more systems-based and uh, methodology-based so that people learn skills overall, like a 10,000-foot view, and not so much an individual skill that's going to give them a very specific X equals Y outcome. And so why I bring that up is, um, I'm just, I'm really glad we're talking about this because I didn't know exactly where this conversation would go, but I think that it's kind of just coming out naturally what hopefully what other people are not speaking to. And it brings more awareness to this. I was doing a consultation with a client and this gentleman had had seven trainers in his life. So he moves around a lot. He's very successful, makes a lot of money, works at Google. And he's had seven other trainers up into this point in his life. And as I was following up with him in the consultation, I said, um, in the military, you always do a after action review. So two sustains, two improves. What do we do good? What do we need to maintain? What do we need to improve and work on? And so we're kind of going through an after action review, if you will. And um, I asked him like, what is different about me or what do you like about me and what we did in the consultation and training versus the other seven? Because that's a pretty interesting idea that someone has had seven trainers. So comparatively, like what's the common thread within all that, that you really liked or disliked about today. And he said, and I just thought this was insane, man. He was like, what I really liked, Brian, was that you asked me what my goal was. Oh my God. So the thousands of dollars that this gentleman has spent, um, that's the shitty part is like, it's not at face value, just you coming to me and us training for one hour. That's the easy part. That's the fun part. Um, reading about deep psychological issues within people and like trying to figure out how to be a better communicator and work on yourself as a human. 
that's where the magic happens. But that hour that you're with the client, oh, it's so much fun. Right. I love my job. Yeah. And I just thought that was insane. Um, and what what made me think of that was when you said about the guy that really likes bodybuilding. And of course I fell into that trap. Like the first fucking TRX cert that I went to, guess what all my clients were doing that week? T bro, TRX is the <laughs> new thing, dude. Everybody's doing bicep curls on the TRX. Like, oh my God, it's a great system. But understanding and being able to disassociate yourself from that personal relationship that you have because you're a personal trainer and not being biased and being able to train things that you might not even do in practice yourself, or you might freaking hate kettlebells or TRX or whatever. But if it's going to get that client, that's one of our principles that on it is to not be dogmatic um, and hunt for those simple truths. So it's like, what is going to be the biggest bang for this client's buck? And I'm not, I don't have any, I have the natural proclivity to train with this tool, but this one is going to be better for the client. So I'm going to disassociate myself from that. And man, all that to be said, like, I think it's insane how, he said that seven people, he's worked with seven trainers. This is like over 15 years, not a single one of them until me said, what is your goal? Like not, this is what you're going to do because this is what fitness is because I said it is because I'm the coach. It's, well, hey man, where are you trying to get to and how can I help you get there? What's your goal? And we just talked about that for 45 minutes straight. Like we were there for three hours. I didn't make any money, like uh, barring the first hour. But once you figure that out, like we talked about before, it's easy to fill in the puzzle pieces. Um, yeah. I just thought that was insane. No, that's, <laughs> I, I'm trying to even think now, like the rationale for that on the other side, like what, what were they doing if they weren't even pretending to work towards a goal? Did they just like label a goal on the guy and say, oh, you're going to be really good at TRX. You're going to be really good at kettlebells. You're going to be really good at, you know, whatever thing I want to do out. Cause I'm the trainer, I'm the coach, I'm the whatever. Like that, that just seems so, so insane to me. But I guess if you, if you've never experienced better, you, you don't know better. It's like, it's certainly no fault of his, but uh, like, you know, that just kind of makes me, it makes me upset, honestly, that, that people are like that and, and they're, you know, the, the same titles and the same authority and the same, you know, whatever, as, as people who are trying to do really good and, and like pouring their everything into it and like really giving a shit and trying to be the best coach and trainer that they can be. And then you got people that just, you know, didn't even ask what their goals are. Like that's to me, that's like question one. Like that's if, if that's not the first question, like what, you know, maybe how are you today? Maybe, hmm. maybe it's question number two, pretty, but then, you know, like, to it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like what else are we even talking about here? And I think at surface level, it's very easy for us to fall into the trap of, well, that coach is a piece of shit. And it's like, well, you got to give them a little bit, of, cut them a little bit of slack, man. Because again, what is, how is the profession and the educational track set up? I have an exercise science degree that was like $40,000. Okay. I, this is all that I do. I don't have a girlfriend. I don't have many friends seven days a week. I'm at the gym training. I'm one of those very lucky people. Um, there was a, uh, <laughs> I watched this movie the other day. It's like uh, Ford versus Ferrari. Right. Yeah, I've seen it. And when he gets up to, you know, start his speech or whatever, he goes, well, my dad said, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. 
and I almost shut it off because I was like, Bleh. oh no, this is what, <laughs> you know, this like fake pump up shit. And I'm like, oh no. And then he said, but then there's those very few people that if they don't do it because they're so obsessed, it would drive them literally insane. And he's like, that's above doing what you love um, and never working a day in your life. It's a different subset. It's like at the apex. And that's me, man. Like I'm, I'm in the shit seven days a week. Like I'm obsessed with figuring out fitness and helping people and progressing that forward. So with that being said, back to that air quotes, right? Piece of shit coach that never asked this gentleman what his goal was. Is it really any, are you really shocked? You know, are like with how our education is set up, are you surprised that that is, that that is what happened with that guy? Because I'm not, you know, I, there was a podcast the other day. It was only eight minutes long. I don't, sorry, I don't remember who it was, but they were saying they were having a conversation with one of the NASM or NCSF or whatever. And again, I'm, I don't mean to call out it. I don't remember which organization it was, but it was their marketing director. And they said, we, our certifications are dumbed down. This is a major organization. I don't remember who it was. I, I know what you're talking about. I listened to the same podcast, but yeah, yeah. So finish, the, finish the thought. He goes, the marketing director for that certification was like our target market our people direct quote are not smart enough to go to college. So we dumb down the certification for them and then we make it cheaper than our competition. So if that's the educational platform that, that he or her that had worked with that client beforehand was educated on to, I mean, to, it's not so much to their fault or it's not shocking to me that, that was not a question that was asked because technically they did the right thing. Hey, you're supposed to program sets and reps and make a workout program and do that. And they probably did that. Right. And yeah. of course you're going to teach things that you're comfortable with. So it's like, to me, it wasn't shocking. It was just, it was a realization of like, wow, we have a lot of work to do as coaches. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff yeah. to do. You're right. Shocking is is probably not the not the best word when you when you think of it from that perspective. But it is it is disappointing that with all of the information that is out there. I mean, you have access. The person, you know, all these other seven coaches has access to all the same information and certifications and everything else that you do. And they never thought to ask, you know, or or to seek those out or to find them or so. You know, it's not it's not a knock on them, but it's like as an industry, like we can do better and and clients, people, whoever, like we need to, we need to also demand better. And that's, I think how this, how this all grows. And, and just to, I don't remember the organization that was talked about on that podcast, but the podcast was, uh, it was Jonathan Goodman's, um, personal trainer development center podcast. Yeah. It was only like eight minutes long. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think he, I think he just found out this information and just like was on a rant and was on a bit of a, on a bit of a tear. And he's like, I just need to put this out there. <laughs> yeah. He was like, this is bullshit, man. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it was kind of funny. It's, you know, kind of comical to listen to, but, um, on the opposite end of the spectrum, it's, it, you know, if you really sit down and correlate, I shut the music off, uh, yesterday during the EMOM because everybody was sucking wind, you know? And I was like, I just said as loud as I could, I was like, guys, remember this doesn't have anything to do 
with kettlebell swings, stress management. You know, if you can teach a client, how important is it or what's the opportunity we have or what is our, what's our end state objective as coaches? You know, if you really have to distill it down, well, it's like, and if if someone doesn't think that training is important um, or the value perceived uh, monetarily is too high for what you could get, one, I understand that to some extent because it's hard to look at someone in the face and try to sell a thousand dollar training package if you're not confident, you weren't educated properly, so you don't have the skills necessary to actually deliver said information. And they're spending a thousand dollars, which is a mortgage damn near for some people on a monthly basis, and they don't know exactly what they're buying. It's like not driving a car and then making this investment. So to some extent, I get it. But for the naysayers that are like, whatever is, you know, coaching, there are good coaches that understand the very fundamentals and the importance of, if I take you and I teach you how to be more aware of your circadian rhythm, and I teach you these little things and give you the tools to understand stress management throughout your life. Maybe now as you drive, you're going to be more aware and have mindfulness around you don't have to be upset right now. And, or you have an anxiety disorder. It's like, well, that's good because we all have anxiety and you may have it at a higher level, but again, taking a pill is not going to inoculate you from depression. Like we have to dig into the weeds of this thing and have honest conversation around anxiety keeps you alive. If you saw the bush shake and the bush shook last time and a freaking tiger jumped out. Okay. Roger that we're very sensory input creatures. And so we're going to remember that. And I'm not going to get burnt by the stove again and touch it. So now I'm going to arm myself. And the next time I see a bush shake, I'm going to be anxious as shit about it because there might be a tiger, but being aware of that and bringing people back to, you know, grounding themselves. There's a reason I teach barefoot in class. It's to, (laughs) it's to get people, we're homunculus creatures. So we have a shit ton of sensory receptors on our hands and our feet. Like you can reach inside your pocket and see without seeing, right? We know this is a dime. This is a penny. This is, you know, and so all of these things correlated together. And I guess in summation, it's like, damn, dude, you might teach that human being how to better manage their stress via an EMOM. Like, hey, guys, breathe. Central nervous system prep. We're going to upgrade you. And then at the end of class, we're going to do some crocodile breath. And we're going to learn how to breathe and manage that energy system. Okay, cool. Now what? Well, I can not freak out and emotionally react when someone's yelling at me and that manages my stress levels and that makes me a better dad. And I learned how to diaphragmatically breathe. And so I can manage that stress again and I can have a better decision-making process. And that made me start to perform better in my relationships and better at my job. And then I got a promotion and then I'm not as stressed. And so I feel better. And so I started to make better decisions and I went to the gym even more often. And now I'm a good leader for my kids. And because I'm physically fit, I can move a box in my garage without my back hurting and that, and because I'm not in pain now I have a general better sense of overall well-being, And so I start to treat other people, you know, I can go on and on, but it can be distilled from a simple AMRAP at a gym. Yeah. So 
Absolutely, man. No, I, I, I completely agree with that 100% and I love that. And I've, I've maintained kind of through, through COVID that a lot of, a lot of people for the first time were faced with a, a challenge in their life. A lot of people of our sort of, you know, close to our age, our generation had, you know, they didn't go without meals. They, they, they weren't necessarily rich, but they, they had a relatively, you know, easy life, let's say, right. You know, they, they weren't, they weren't hungry. They weren't homeless kind of thing. And now, you know, COVID happened, maybe you lost your job, maybe you had to stay in your apartment by yourself, not see any people like, you know, hard stuff happened to people and people freak the fuck out yep. because they don't do any hard stuff in their life. They never poured concrete, you know, in the, in the hot sun, they don't go to the gym and, and push themselves in that controlled, but stressful environment. So they have no tools, no physical or, or psychological tools to really deal with, with hard times. And so I think that training in the gym is a very uh, simple, accessible way for many people to to train those things, so that when stuff happens in real life where you can't control it and and all that stuff, then you have some tools to be prepared to deal with that better. Yeah, and I guess um, we could probably wrap up on that point, but like in summation, yeah. um, fitness literally saved my life. Like I was really depressed and suicidal and all this other shit, and it's like that's why I care about this profession so much. And that's why I am obsessed with it because I think that my job as a coach is to program out and attack the brain of the human being. And I don't mean attack in an aggressive setting. What I'm saying is like, that's my entry point is that if I can make a very low hanging fruit connection via the body, via a kettlebell swing, like the best dude, the best conversations, the best time I have with my clients, the most forward progress that I make with people are hour long conversations in the parking lot after the training session. Right. Like yeah, if I can, yeah, like, for sure. if I can sum up coaching in this sense, is like, it's that human connection again, man. And, and not being aggressive with that person, being empathetic, helping them and just truly serving them. And a super easy way to do that and get to that point where people can actually start to make change is that entry point is from a physical standpoint. And so that low hanging fruit, we're going to do kettlebell swings. You're going to be exhausted. You're going to be connected much more so with yourself and not be ripped by anxiety or blocked by feelings of regret in the past that those things don't fucking matter. All that matters right now, bro, is you got 15 seconds to bring your heart rate down and get ready for that next exercise. And God, that's an important skill, man, um, especially now. And uh, I, I'm not lost on the, the opportunity that fitness presents to help people through some of these really nasty things that people deal with. And uh, yeah, I think that's our mission is to, is to just keep trying to improve that connection and improve the people that do serve that opportunity for people. Um, and that's, that's what, uh, that's my mission anyway. Yeah, no, I love that, man. That's, that's beautiful. That's wonderful. It's a, uh, it's a long road ahead, but you know, we're doing good work and one conversation at a time, one training session at a time, one, you know, one Instagram post at a time, whatever it's going to be like, this is, this is how we, this is how we get it. So I, I really appreciate you, you sharing and being so open and so authentic and just, you know, having this conversation with me. Um, I think, I think there'll be many more of these to come if you're, if you're open to it down the, down the line as we both continue to grow and share and, and improve. Um, but this has been, this has been awesome.
Yeah, I love that, man. I'm, uh, I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, if we could end on a, I'm going to tell the story. I don't care. Like tell if it. we can provide a little bit of levity to this intense, like depression and all this other stuff and fitness and coaching and taking everything very seriously. What's hilarious is I, I spent about 45 minutes making a post this morning. Uh, I never liked Instagram. In fact, hated it. And your posts are fantastic, by the way. Uh, we're, we'll, I'll put Brian's Instagram in the... What's your handle? I'll, we'll say it again at the end and I'll put it in the show notes, but... It's a b.r.butts. So B period, R period, butts, my last name, B-U-T-Z. And I appreciate that because I, I try to post stuff in a mindset of, okay, if I saw this, would I be like, dude, that was great. And did I learn something? Um, and so I try to spend time if I'm like, if I'm going to spend time doing this, then I'm going to, I'm going to try my best at it. So, um, but I make this Instagram post this morning and it was based off of a question. I try to have my class or my client learn something every time they come to me. That's a standard must, must do. And I asked the Labor Day class yesterday, if there was any questions and one of our small group members asked a really good one about the differential between why do we train plyometric lunges versus um, a weighted lunge uh, with kettlebells in the front rack position, et cetera, et cetera. And so I thought it was a great question. So I went into the strength continuum um, from OPEX. By the way, if you are a new coach, I was that asshole that the country just shut down. I'm halfway through the CSCS book and I spent so much time invested in like learning the endocrine system and where freaking hormones connect. It's, I, I stopped doing all of that and spent, I won't say the price, but a lot of money when the country just shut down and I wasn't sure I was going to have a job as a coach. And when friends asked me what the cert was, I said, it's a, it's a training cert. Mind you, I already have my NSCF and a butt ton of other certs and an exercise science degree. And they're like, well, what else is there? And I'm like, no, that's it. Just certification (laughs) to be a trainer. Um, OPEX uh, from James Fitzgerald. That was really talking about breaking out of that uh, dogmatic stuff. Yes, he was the first winner of the, or he was the the winner of the first CrossFit game. So there's some CrossFit-y stuff, um, I guess, layered in there. but man, if you really want to go deep and you're serious about it, it's a, that cert was very fundamental in how I train people and how I started to ask questions and really go down other rabbit holes in a good way. Um, that was really fundamental. So great, great cert. But uh, all that to say, I, you know, the, I was explaining the strength continuum of absolute strength, strength, speed, speed, strength, absolute strength, blah, blah, blah. And I make this post and I'm like, man, that was a good post. I just nerded out. I hope somebody learned something from it. I go downstairs and about two minutes later, I look in the DMs and <laughs> I see this message and I'm like, maybe they're going to ask about the post and blah, blah, blah. And it says, show me your ass. <laughs> and I just looked and like, I was like, man, Roger that, you know, I'm like, okay, awesome. Um, show me your ass. That was yep, that's, that's Instagram for you. Yeah, oh my God. Bro. It's good stuff, brother. <laughs> I think that's a good place to, I think that's a good place to end it. So you know what? All the knowledge you have, just show us your ass and you know, maybe good <laughs> things will happen. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, man. Where uh, where can people find you one more time? And, and I'll put everything in the show notes as well. Um, B.R.Butts, B-U-T-Z. It's my last name. And uh, I'll be dropping my first program, hopefully. I shouldn't say hopefully. That's crappy language. Um, around January timeframe. And I think I'm going to call it back to basics. And it's just a... Uh, culmination of everything that I, I, I think our, a big job is that we've become lazy and we've become too good to do an isometric quadruped hold on the ground. Like I need to learn this banded, you know, whatever, whatever, super sexy exercise. And uh, that's what I try to post is like back to basics, those fundamental movement types, the things that we should be training and why. And again, the system, because I hate I used to take my clients at Golds on the second level because uh, there was two levels at the gym I worked at. And I would not in a negative way, but I would point out downstairs if somebody was really uncomfortable, all the things that people were jacking up on the gym floor. And just to demonstrate, like, because that's a commonly held belief, right? We we deal with that at on it all the time is that, well, I'm not in shape enough to work out it on it. It's like, no, bro, that's, that's the <laughs> point. Like we, that's your job as a coach is to scale and regress properly and et cetera. But I would just point those things out. So um, it's a conglomerate of all of the basic fundamental things that we should be doing. And hopefully it's palatable and digestible to whoever that audience is, but it's, it's going back to fundamentals. Like if you really want to make change, um, yeah, some of the stuff's not sexy or whatever, but do it for 30 days and like see how your body feels, you know, because do you actually, man, I say this in class, do you actually feel, speaking of asses, can you feel your butt on a squat? Your back shouldn't hurt on a squat. <laughs> yeah, that's not like, normal. Damn, dude. You know, like, can you stay? Huh, I want to run a marathon. That's a four hour plyometric hop. When, <laughs> when is the last time that you stood up in a brace neutral spine position for two hours? Yeah. And you want to run? It's like, <laughs> holy hell. So, uh, yeah, anyway, um, that'll be coming out. And I just, uh, I want to keep serving people through fitness. And I think we did that hopefully today. And it was a great conversation, man. I hope so too. Thank you. I appreciate it. And yeah, we'll, we'll all, uh, you know, be looking out for, for that program coming out and I'll, do do my part to share it on my end as well um and and if anyone like a small taste of it over the past couple days or weeks you've been going through like a series of the basic movement patterns on your instagram so when you follow brian on instagram like just scroll back a couple posts and like go through those and like that's what it is and that's like the depth that that brian's talking about of really going into these movement patterns like not just showing his butt on instagram but like you know talking about <laughs> talking about the real stuff so a little bit of that too, it apparently <laughs> what's that a little bit of show and ass too, apparently, but yeah, well, Hey, it, it sells it, it as long as they're reading the post too. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really weird, man. When you ask people like, why do we put weight on a deadlift bar and pick it up? What's the point of that? That's what really was the antithesis. That's what led me down that path was I kept asking that question. Why do we load a movement and people couldn't answer me? Like no, not one, not one. Like, why do we put kettlebells in our hands and do a lunge? Why is that? You're paying this amount of money per month to learn that. Why are we doing that? And not a single person could answer. So 
I think disinformation and too much information, not so much censorship is what's going to destroy us. And, uh, that's, that's my, my first, uh, dive into hopefully fixing that. That's it. One, one step at a time, one piece of information at a time. Yep. Thanks again, Brian. Thank you everybody for listening. I appreciate you. And I hope you got something out of this. A lot of great things have been said in here and, and a great start to all of this conversation or, or continuation of all this conversation. We're not the first people to say this and we won't be the last people to say these things. Um, and just, you know, onwards and upwards from here. So I appreciate you all. Uh, make sure you're following Brian on Instagram and be stay tuned to everything he's got going on. Uh, also personal shout out to everyone at Onnit. Um, hopefully I'll be, I'll be back soon and, um, you know, get to see everyone again and, and hang out again. And that's it. I appreciate you listening. Give me a follow on Instagram. If you, when you get a chance at Daniel yours, subscribe to the podcast, leave a rating and review on iTunes. And that's it. Love you guys. Thank you. Take it easy.